Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cabin Victor Radio Program. We're here with the Armed Citizens column portion of the show, True Stories of Self-Defense. And it's coming out of the 1982 edition of the American Rifleman. I've got, um, I've got three stories here. Actually, four. Story number one goes as follows. And I'm reading these cold. I just pull them out because I want to get my initial reaction as to um, how I feel about it when I read it. The instincts gained from enduring five robberies in ten years told Lewis Anderson that something was wrong when the three men entered his Oklahoma, California tavern. After one demanded cash and bashed him on the head, that's a good giveaway, by the way, Anderson drew a Derringer and shot him twice. The dowdy barman then pulled a 9mm automatic and shot it and shot out, had a shootout with the three criminals, wounding two and being hit three times himself. Anderson, who had killed an armed robber three years earlier, said he would keep his establishment open. It's my business, ain't it? The rest didn't run out on me. Okay, this is an interesting story. And it's interesting because the Derringer, you got these guys coming up and you got a Derringer. Depending on the type of Derringer is, from personal experience, cocking the hammer of a Derringer, you know, it's got a little heft to it. So you got people bopping you on the head and you're getting time to pull out your Derringer, cock the hammer, and then pull the semi-hard trigger and hit your mark. So that was pretty good. And then with the automatic pistol, I guess, you know, when all heck is breaking loose, who knows if the bartender had a drink or two, maybe that's why he was missing his shots. But he's able to have that in his bar, and he did the best of his abilities to defend himself. So ladies and gentlemen, you just got to be prepared. prepared. You never know what's going to happen. And we've seen in, in just recent history where bars have a tendency to be the place of choice for some people to do mass shootings because everybody's defenseless. And everybody's together in confined areas. So just be careful on that. Story number two. Liam Nguyen, formerly of the South Vietnamese Army, made use of his training when he saw a strongman robbery in progress. The San Jose, California resident grabbed an M1 carbine from the trunk of his car and fired two warning shots. The robbers, who had taken a bag of money from the store clerk on her way to the night depository, dropped the loot and ran. Very good. Guy did a great job. Here's my one big complaint. And if you listen often, you should know what the answer is. No warning shots. Warning shots are extremely dangerous. Major liability. They got to they gotta go somewhere. So if you're not taking aim at the threat to stop the threat, you either pull the trigger and hit the, the threat or you don't pull the trigger. That's just all there is to it. Joel, take us out with a break. When we come back, we'll have... <laughs> Attorney extraordinaire Benton Ross Watson talking Eighth Amendment. See you on the other side. Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. So you're going to be doing the Eighth or Part Seven, and I think we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different stuff today. Then we got the Eighth Amendment. You want me to read it? Or you want to read it? Go ahead. All right. Here's the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution prohibits the federal, state, and local governments of the United States from imposing excessive bail, excessive fines, or cruel and unusual punishments in any part of the U.S. on U.S. property, uh, U.S. Embassy is an example, or against any U.S. citizen or any resident of the U.S. So well, it's go, relatively Ross. short. Excessive bails shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. 
Okay, as far as the, you're streamlining, man, you're streamlining. And so, as far as the Eighth Amendment is concerned, we're looking at excessive bail and cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, and so there's no constitutional right to bail. You see these guys all the time. Uh, we see all these cases all the time. We're always talking about them on here. It'd be some kid in Bell County or Williamson County. That had uh, possession of marijuana and he's got a million dollar bond. Well, what about the guy? Who's that lady who gave him five million dollar bond or something? And she uh, got kicked out of her office for what? Excessive bond. I can't think of her name. Just happened recently. Oh, it was a judge. Yeah, I didn't hear about that one. I didn't hear about the one getting kicked out of her office for filing an excessive bond. But uh, you know, it is an abuse of your official discretion and position and power and authority to uh look down on and look man i could go off and be specific about this but i want to keep my job and uh i mean technically i'm self-employed but i, I want to keep working in these some of these communities and so <laughs> yes some of these judges when it comes to bail and bonds and i feel like they definitely abuse their authority sometimes it, uh, a lot of people would argue that it's warranted and the community can sit there and debate M me regardless when they violate the constitutional provisions uh even if even if it was debatable to try to keep the person in jail when they violate the constitutional provisions even though i know these judges are really good people and uh are honest folks and are trying to do the best they can it just makes me sick to my stomach i would think the the higher bonds would go to something that is potentially we're not talking about murder cases that's what i'm like saying that. we, we potentially go towards uh something that can be harmful to themselves others family friends but when it comes to hey the person's do not not to themselves but when person's smoking dope or doing something of themselves in a little bubble where it's not really going to hurt too many people, but they broke the law. I can understand the bail being lower, but on other yeah, ones, but sometimes sometimes there's victims on the other side that have political weight, and they'll happen to show up at the bond or bail hearing and sort of try to influence right how the judge and prosecutor react to what would normally be a pretty standard procedure so what you're saying ross is that the law isn't just black and white the law is emotional it has emotions and oh, politics absolutely. Yeah. absolutely it has politics and emotions. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it didn't then we probably wouldn't have a spot for lawyers and so but when the sort of scenario plays out that i just mentioned it almost doesn't even matter if you have a lawyer on your side that's that's good you just and, and i don't understand because the lawyer's gonna. If the lawyer knows what he's doing, he's gonna appeal it. Uh, he's gonna try to attack it some way. And it's just gonna cost the system more money and time and effort and uneconomical and all kinds of stuff. And but as far as anything else is concerned, can't be using bail as an instrument of oppression either. And so even when I say they go outside the standard practice a lot of times because of uh, maybe political pressures. And again, I'm not. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying it kind of makes me sick to my stomach when I see them just absolutely blatantly violate the constitutional provisions. But I do understand that there's, I do understand that there's political pressure. I do understand how difficult it can be to try to just do the standard status quo kind of 
procedure when there's a victim that's supposedly looking you right there in your face that you know help get you on the bench where you are today that would be hard to do and so i mean i do understand that the difficulties do happen but uh i think sometimes the uh instrument of oppression language goes hand in hand and sometimes it doesn't sometimes it's a standard procedure that itself imposes uh a uh an instrument of oppression so to speak systematically and that's what's been huge about bail reform and across the united states and texas now the folks on bail reform camp they're going to tell you that um it's always almost always inappropriate and that they're going to tell you in more cases than not you know that it's it's inappropriate than when it is appropriate and so uh, we've spoke about the statistics and about the problems that they've been having when you let out people uh, that are on a smaller scale. When you let these folks out on a PR bond and there's no bond in place and then they don't show up. And so you issue a warrant for their arrest and then you arrest them and it's still a misdemeanor. So you got to let them out on a PR bond and then they don't show up for that and then you arrest them again. And it, they don't show up for that because there's never a bond. They're, they're always letting them out on a PR bond. You, you see the, you see the, the yeah, dangerous cycle. Course, yes. Okay. <laughs> and so, so when that happens, is that for us? We got a call. We ready? Welcome to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. I'm Matt. Who are you? Matt, this is Kevin Rowland. I live here in Rockdale. Kevin, how and you doing? I've taken, buddy? doing great. Uh, my wife and I took your course a couple of years ago, and we've got both got our license. But I have a uh, question concerning legal 30-06 signage. Yes, sir. We like to go camping, and we go to Granger. Uh, I go to Bastrop and Fayette a lot. And driving into these parks, one's a Corps of Engineers, and the other two are LCRA, I'd like to know is the little pistol with the circle and the slash through it considered legal signage? Because I don't like to go anywhere unprotected. And I'll hang up and let you talk about that. Well, hold on a second. Yeah, hold There's... on a second, buddy. Hold on. Hold on. So it's, okay. no, it's not illegal signage for a 30 out 6 Yeah, well, 30. first of all, I got, I got two things on this. First of all, the state says if you want to get a license, you have to jump through certain hoops to get it. And if you remember, I say this in the class. And then, yeah, yeah. But it also allows for people who don't like that to keep you off. And to keep you off, they must jump through hoops. One of those hoops is proper signage. The signage must read a certain way for it to be a legal sign. So to answer your question in short on the signage thing, but I want to get back to you on something else. A circle with a slash and a pistol and it says no guns does nothing affects you in no way, shape, or form as a license to carry holder because it is not written properly. The only signs you can... Go ahead. That was my sentiment exactly. The only, That's what I thought, but I, but I wanted to I wanted to hear it from someone else. Did, some, did somebody say something to you? Or? No, I've gotten into several conversations about it, and... My opinion during the conversations was this was not considered legal signage and would not prohibit me from privately carrying in my vehicle or 
on my person if I chose, but normally I keep my pistol in my vehicle or my camper when I'm camping. And it's well, let's go. Let's go. And I, and I still will. Let's go a step further here. Because it's an open carry state, we've got both signs, 30-odd-6 and 30-odd-7. 30-odd-7 is a sign that says you can't open carry. Now, if you're if you're carrying concealed and somebody knows you have a concealed weapon, well, then that's your fault. But it's not a problem. It's just that if you're trying to keep it concealed and they know you got it, okay, that's, that's a bad on you. Here's the deal, though. If you're open carrying and they have that no-gun sign with the slash mark on it and they say, hey, didn't you see that sign? They said, well, it doesn't fit the standards of the state. Well, now they're talking to you verbally. And if they say, well, I want you off the property with that gun, then you got to comply. Otherwise, it's trespassing because you're getting it from somebody in position of authority who's acting for the owner. Absolutely. Okay, so if you're going to carry, definitely carry concealed. Now, my other point was this, and I don't know if you can help me on this one, uh, Ross. The Corps of Engineers, Fed, Fed run facility. Yeah, that's what I was. I was. I've been thinking about that since he's. I can. Said that. I have not been able to give a straight answer. I know what I'm, I would do, and that is not take it there because I don't want any hassle with Fed property. So, Corps of Engineer property, as compared to a state property, state park, it's different. State parks, you're allowed to go in as long as um, there's no signage put up there. You want? You want to okay. add that? How about? Uh, how about you email me at Benton at Watson Legal and talk about this one a little bit better. I would uh All right. I'm going to uh I'm going to try to get you a straight answer. <laughs> that's we're talking okay. about core, we're talking about core of engineer questions. So. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. The, that's the one. Yeah, okay. Been, that's the one I've been sitting here thinking this since you called. That's the good question. And the last thing too, <laughs> just so you're familiar with you probably are, but just go look up a 30 odd 6 sign and read it. You're going to see the verbiage. And I want to make another comment. There's some properties that are posting a shortcut version of that sign saying this building falls under subchapter H government code 411 blah 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 but it does not say the verbiage that the sign has to say so technically if it does not read like a 30 odd 6 sign or a 30 odd 7 sign and you're a license to carry holder it means nothing hey email me Ben at watson.legal and I'll email you back with some good info alright I'll try to do that hey, but I appreciate you guys and uh, enjoy the show fantastic thank you, man. thanks for the call that was good. That Corps of Engineer thing is always tricky. Yeah, that's a good question. Because they got all these backdoor channels to screw you if you do something wrong. <laughs> and, I <don't, laughs> and I don't want to put myself in that position. Okay. Feel free, everybody, to give us a call. It's a good question. It's an open call Saturday, I guess. It's if you got question. another question like that or something else, give us a call. 254-697-6633. You want to go over the 8th and ta- tell me about cruel... An unusual punishment. I know we've talked about it in other things, but what would be a, a current, current type of cruel punishment? Okay, so punishment? we're. Gonna, I mean, that applies to many different things. It's the manner and means in which they're going to uh, use some sort of punishment. It could be the the proportionality of the punishment, rather the disproportionality of the punishment. It can be. Um, certain age requirements like uh, they, they the Supreme Court said that you can't uh, inflict the death penalty on kids younger than 18 years of old 18 years of age um, there were certain things uh, I think the biggest issue right now was the Tim's case which said that uh, you could not seize somebody's property what happened is Mr. Tim's I think probably was a drug possession case but uh, ended up getting convicted 
And then after that happened, the state came in and seized his Land Rover that he bought with his dad's insurance policy. So it wasn't purchased with ill-gotten gains. It wasn't purchased with uh, illegal tax money. It wasn't purchased with uh, money from selling dope. It was It was just his uh, essentially what would be a gift from his parents to him and probably since it was his dad's life insurance I haven't read the full case but his dad's life insurance I'm sure that his father had passed away uh, and that's how he had gotten it and so with that being said the courts thought that that was grossly disproportional meaning that the it was really no reason to take his Land Rover simply because right he had been convicted of a uh, a uh, drug offense that would not have given rise to a fine mm-hmm. of even that much we got another one okay okay and so does that make sense uh, that the fine would have been only ten thousand dollars and the land rover was new it was probably forty thousand dollars so four times as much as the maximum possible fine that they could give him in the case and it wasn't even purchased with anything that was involved in his crime and so it was really disproportional to the right crime that he had committed I figured you had a comment on this so I pause for a second <laughs> no I'm listening very intently and I totally agree with you what I was when you were saying that the reason I didn't say anything was because in my mind as you were talking I was thinking about the times where the court won't convict somebody because of a slight technicality but here this guy is getting his uh, vehicle taken away when it's clear cut separate his dad's policy gifted him and I'm thinking, how when you, when you go to a court of law, you never know what's going to happen. You got this rule book and these laws, and even though it says this, somehow they can twist it and flip it around. And then in this case, you got it where, oh well, we did it over here, but we're not going to do it over here. We did it over there, but we're not going to do it over there. There's no, you can't go into the court and say, this is what I can expect to come out of this courtroom because it's not yeah. going to happen. You got, you got, um, you got those in the in the camp that are going to tell you that. You know, this is deserve. This is the only way that we get these guys off the streets. If we can't let these guys continue making money, right? That then they're gonna just stay in business and continue to operate. And we've got to just attack all assets that they've got. Well, man, that's that's great. You got you you got an Al Capone guy, and you can prove that. Why and, do you spend the then time? Then you do it. Why does the system spend the time getting the guy in the corner? When you, but that's just not yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the what is that's a symptom. Why can't they take all this energy and go and say where did he get this stuff? It's coming across the well, border because that's hard, man. That's that's hard to do. No, I think they want people in the the system because the system makes money. Yeah, no, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't, I don't, I don't. It's hard and it costs money to go after important people. Okay, and so a lot of times it's the ones that, that's what I'm saying. It's great. You got Al Capone. You want to go after him and seize all of his assets? You do it. I'm not. You're not going to get any objections from me, okay? Maybe if I'm representing him. <laughs> other than that, you're not getting any objections from me. But what 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 really irks me, and I think a lot of other people, is the fact that they don't usually go after Al Capone. What you're saying, it's usually the this guy, the easy it, guy. It, it's 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 a family that doesn't have a lot, and the state goes after the one asset that they do have, and then they've got no legacy for their family going forward, and you just continue. Right, the only legacy that they have, and that's right, years after years of welfare, and that's just the government sustenance 
is just perpetually sustaining this family over and over and over again because you can never get the family out of the system. And if you think that I'm just talking gibberish, right, well, then you come when they do pleas here and CPS court and all this stuff, and I promise you you're going to see the same families generation after generation, and I don't even have to tell you that. I mean, that's what was good about me coming back to my hometown is people that I saw getting in trouble as a as a child. Now I'm seeing their kids or grandkids still in trouble. And I, I, I'm just not all the states. But I'm not I'm not throwing shots at one particular facility, but I'm just saying that there are systematic problems that just it just it causes a perpetual uh, legacy of government government sustenance. I, that's how, that's the best way I can put it. I understood all that. <laughs> I really did. I'm looking at you and I, I understood it all and I get it and I agree. Um, okay, back back to this. And so, you, and then, you know, too, you got the, you got the, what is it, the, the thumbnails, the, the gibbets and the, uh, the racks, racks and pool uh, that are obviously cruel and unusual punishment. You can't, we don't put people in the hanging cages anymore. I think that's the gibbet. <laughs> and uh, uh you know matt's a political enemy of the oh, the left-wing camp and so they find something when they get me. into election they're gonna try to find you guilty of a crime and then they're gonna uh, let everybody know that if you if you side with with matt Beatros, right this is what's gonna happen to you and they're gonna put you in the gibbet for the crows <laughs> 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 and hang you up and hang you up and actually there's there's streets in England that are named after not what they originally the the person who donated or the person who built the road or the person who lived down the road but they're named after the person that was hanging in the gibbet because <laughs> you don't want to go down that road gotta honor him somehow <laughs> yeah and so <laughs> uh, we can't do those types of things anymore either uh, something that is uh, uh, harmful to human dignity okay is going to be cruel and unusual punishment it's going to be and you can see though how a lot of these cruel and unusual punishment areas can be gray i mean you, you can see as we I, I, and i haven't got an answer to those cases that i spoke about that were coming up and i think one of them resolved itself but i didn't have time to go we've been so busy with all of the stuff going on in the city recently <laughs> <Easy> huh? <laughs> uh that i haven't been able to uh do as much updating myself on some of my cool little uh, uh, niches in the criminal law aspect world but um, in, we can see how there's going to be gray areas in what we talked about as being oh the guy wanted a different kind of if he had been given that injection it would have caused some kind of boils all over his body to went into shock so he asked to be basically taken out back and shot remember we were talking about that yes i did and then there was another guy that uh while he had been sitting in prison waiting on the death penalty that he had developed alzheimer's to, and dementia to such a degree that he no longer even knew who he was and so is it is it okay to impose a death penalty on somebody like that are you asking me, or is this like a, just one of those questions you just listen to and wait for the next thing to be said? <laughs> no, I figured you had a you had a comment, and so I paused. Uh, on that particular one, you know, we're a compassionate country. We're compassionate people. <clears throat> and 
I have major compassion for the people who that person did harm to. You know, if somebody takes, if somebody murders, rapes, does any type of abuse to a member of a family, I'm going to side with that family. So I have a lot of compassion for that, but I understand the concept. The guy with the Alheim, Alheim, how do you say that word? Who's not there anymore, okay? It's just a biological unit with no personality anymore. So I don't know. What kind of compassion do you give on that type of guy? Or do you stick with the justice to say that family that family gets their their settlement of the problem? We got a call in? Okay. All right, everybody. This is Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio program. It's April 13th, and you're on the air. Who are we talking to? Hey, Matt. This morning, this is Butch. Hey, Butch. What's going on, buddy? Say, I had a man ask me a question the other day, and I, and I didn't know how to answer him, but he was talking about somebody, like, breaking his door down on his house. And he said, you know, by the law, you have to wait to for them to get inside. Is that true? Uh, well, if they're in the process of breaking it down, the act is happening, so you can stop that threat. But I've got the expert here. And so if it's at nighttime, they're already going to be trespassing at nighttime, and so which would authorize the use of, of force. It would probably also authorize the use of force for protection of property. I think that uh, trespassing in the nighttime, I think if, man, I think if you feel like somebody's breaking in your door, we've talked about this. This is what Matt's always saying. If you shoot and they're dead on the other side of the door and they never make it in, are you in trouble? My my opinion is that that doesn't change the calculus. They're trying to break in. If let's, you let's, show be, that. let's be clear on the trying to break in part. Somebody on the front porch who's scaring you and hasn't really touched the doorknob yet is coming up and shouting and all this kind of stuff and maybe making threatening acts but hasn't really tried to break in yet. I would still wait because you still have the power on your side. You, got, you know what's going on. You've got your weapon. You're still in your secure home. The line between outside and inside hasn't been broken so i would say no you don't shoot but as soon as they start trying to enter forcefully i'm thinking okay you know no when they that's what i mean when, when i say trying to i mean taking some kind of physical act to enter physical act, okay but i don't think you you telling me that i've got to wait for them to put themselves in an advantageous position to hurt me no no i mean i think i think i can protect myself as soon as i see that that force is being used to get to me. Well, let me tell you my thought process on what you just said. Because I feel confident in how to handle myself, I know the longer I wait to put things in my court, the easier I'll be when it goes but to that's, court. But that's why it's good to have me and you on here, because I'm not confident <laughs> in my ability. And I think, and, and knowing me, I'm going to have to shoot four or five times before I hit what I'm aiming at. right? And I'm not going to give the dude more opportunity than they need i'm telling you if 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 they're trying to break through my door physically and that force is being used to break through my door yeah but you just said it now when they're trying to break in the door but, well, I, I, thought, I, but I thought you're saying he's on the porch just making comments and you no no i just told you when okay. he's making that physical act, okay well i concur yeah when he's making that but i'm not going to wait for him to actually get inside well, you could you can you're not gonna miss i'm telling I you i would I, rather hit him than shoot my door that door is expensive. Well, if I you tell shoot, you what, if he's trying, if he's trying to break in, and I think he's going to break it, I may unlock it. What would happen if that happened? I, and in court, and I go, hey, I don't want to damage my property. It's still a breaking. Okay. He didn't. Well, he wasn't authorized to enter. Do you know what a, a wooden, a mahogany wood door, <laughs> a crosswind? That's an expensive door, dude. 
I don't want to put bullets in it. <laughs> I get you some. Butch, get you some what do you think about those answers? How do you like those? Did that help you out? Well, I might be able to give him a better answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you got to wait till you get in, but you at least need to wait till they're using physical force to break down the door. Right. Well, he was asking me if they was trying to knock the door down and get in, and and at least. I could probably give him a better answer. Well, just make sure you tell him, look, I'm not an attorney. I can't give you advice. <laughs> this is just my personal opinion. <laughs> okay. Right, 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 right. Thank you. All right, thank you, Butch. Take care. That was a good call. We're getting a little bit of this and a little bit of that on this show today. That's good. And so you uh, see, you always sit from the standpoint in your high perch box of an expert. Oh, stop with you. Okay. <laughs> and and you, you, you act like, and I try to be realistic. I try to feel like, you know, realistically if somebody's trying to get in your house you're not even going to be thinking about oh what happens if i get charged over here bs that's the thing that scares me the most that, you man because it you, scares you know me what the you're mo- doing, man. i know you what know? i'm doing it scares me the most because everything that i do in the house i have control over i know what's going to happen when i go to that courtroom i got guys like you who spin stuff make things so if you're not defending me you're prosecuting against me and that scares me that's what I'm saying. You, what do we got? All right, we got another call. This is Aaron's High Cabinet Radio Program. I'm Matt. Who are you? This is Moses. Moses, what's going on, buddy? Oh, everything's coming along good, trying to stay dry. <laughs> good, good luck with that. Okay, what can I do for uh, you today? What's going on? What kind of question you got? Well, you, you need to tell our buddy there that doesn't shoot very well. And if he get him a good shotgun, he won't have to shoot but once. <laughs> take care, Matt. All right, buddy. Take care. Well, there you go, man. You're getting feedback. You have a problem? The audience has a solution. A solution. That's right. That's right. And I'll tell you what. I get one of those nice short firearms that look like a shotgun, but it's not a shotgun. Oh, it's because it's, it's a firearm. firearm. It's a, that's right. That's right. Okay. We got Just don't carry those in your car because... Uh, you have to convince the police officer on site to. <laughs> that ain't stopping me because I'm in the right. I know I'm right. That thing's a handy little tool. Okay, look, time's ticking. Wow, it just got away from us. Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. This is fun. I appreciate you guys calling in, and uh, it's always good to be here. Rick Dodd, thank you for yes, sir. Uh, sponsoring the show. We love it. Uh, respectforyou.com. If you have any questions or your, uh, you know, Liberty is invaded by some kind of uh, company or other individual or government. Just holler at uh, me at 254-605-4140, 254-605-4140, or holler at Rick Dodd. I, if you don't know his number, you can come and email me, and I'll get you in touch with him. You can email me at Benton at Watson.Legal. That's Benton at Watson.Legal. Or come see us at 105 East Main Street in Cameron, Uh Again, the big milk cow on the side, you can't miss it. Uh, man, it's good, it's good to be here. <laughs> now, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You sponsor, you support all the sponsors. Like, look, if you're having a stressful day, go see George at Liquor Depot, okay? He'll square you away with something good to calm your nerves. <laughs> you run a stoplight or, or you're getting in trouble legally, you call Rick or Ross. Uh, if you got water, if you got like water in your gas, go see Kyle there at Cameron Small Injury Repair, so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera. Support the people, support the show, okay? All right, it was a great segment. Joel, take us out of here. When we come back, we're going to have the delicious Janae Goodman. Where's your food from? No, I mean, where's your food from? You just might be able to answer that question after we explore the not-so-well-known origins of fan favorites. 
I'm Janae Goodman, and this is Tactical Snacking. French toast isn't very French at all. While there are worldwide versions of the dish, recipes for pan dulces were found as early as 400 AD. Early Romans would give stale bread new life by soaking it in milk and sometimes added egg. The technique eventually found its way to England, where it was so aptly called pan perdu, or lost bread, to describe the stale nature of the bread before it was soaked. It was brought to America by early English settlers, and later polished and advertised by a man named Joseph French, who apparently had no idea how to use possessive commas. At least, that's how the legend goes. Did you know pizza may not have been invented in Italy? In fact, there's no clear idea of where its origin is, although there are many theories. What we know as pizza today, you know, the sauce, toppings, and cheese, is thanks to Italian immigrants. Raffaele Esposito was tasked with making a pizza for the Queen Margarita of Naples and is credited with the idea of, you guessed it, margarita pizza, which is topped with mozzarella cheese, tomatoes, and fresh basil to honor the Italian flag. Gennardo Lombardi, an Italian immigrant who settled in New York City, is responsible for bringing pizza to the United States. Although it didn't gain popularity until after World War II, when soldiers craved the taste that they were introduced to overseas. Here's one we're all pretty fond of in Texas, nachos. While they are of Mexican origin, they aren't very representative of the country. Ignacio Anaya gets recognition for this one. He was over the kitchen staff at a hotel restaurant. Right before closing time, a group of U.S. soldiers' wives came in for a meal. Like, super convenient, right? Not wanting to turn away their business, Ignacio tossed together the few ingredients he had on hand. Fried tortillas, cheese, and jalapenos. And made a pretty impressive snack. He went by the nickname Nacho. So when they asked what the dish was called, he responded with Nachos Especiales. And much like the French toast, the S eventually came off, and it was known as Special Nachos. Did you know sandwiches probably wouldn't be so popular today if it weren't for gambling? Yeah, rumor has it that John Montague, also known as the fourth Duke of Sandwich, was a constant gambler. He would gamble for hours and didn't want to be interrupted for a meal. To ward off his hunger and to keep his hands grease free, he would order beef put between two pieces of bread. As time went on, his gambling buddies would eventually do the same. I can only imagine it has become a rather popular custom, or it quite simply could have been heinous rumors spread by his rivals. Regardless of how the tradition got started, we could very well be eating a Portsmouth instead of a sandwich. The Montagues weren't from Sandwich, England. However, the first Earl of Sandwich kept the name to honor the city after stationing his fleet there, thus never taking the name Earl of Portsmouth. Many people associate croissants with France. I mean, they're not wrong to do so. However, croissants were not the first of their kind. Austria's Kipfer pastry is considered the precursor to the croissant. There are several beliefs and legends behind the croissant, so no one can say for sure. Depending on who you ask, some even believe the crescent shape has ties to religious wars and 
a symbol of Islam. I hope that I've taught you something new today. I'm always willing to share. As always, shoot me an email at tacticalsnacking at yahoo.com if you have questions about this or any other tactical snacking segments. Until then, stay hungry, my friends. Keep your powder dry, and God bless.